This season, Taniela speaks to endometriosis and chronic illness patients, those who are going through or have gone through the pain and the diagnosis of endometriosis and are navigating this extremely common but poorly understood condition. Over the last few years, an army of patients have arisen. They are speaking out, fighting back, doing their own research and raising awareness of endometriosis. Let's listen to these brave warriors who have decided that enough is enough and who will stop at nothing to reclaim their health. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Not Defined by Endo podcast. Today's conversation is with Tahisha Bennett. Tahisha is a 24-year-old incoming junior doctor. She was inspired to create her sexual and reproductive health awareness page, She Talks, on Instagram after she was diagnosed with superficial endometriosis in 2020. Join me today as we listen to Tahisha's story. Hi, Isha. Thank you so, so much for um, agreeing to come on the show with me today. Um, it's nice speaking to lovely ladies like you who have been through a lot and who are empowering themselves and empowering other people as they navigate this health journey. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So I want to, I know we've been talking pre-recording and, you know, I was trying not to ask any juicy questions <laughs> <laughs> so that everyone can hear and get to know you. So tell me a bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do. And um, I know you do something on Instagram. So tell me about that. Yeah. So my name is Taisha. A lot of people just call me Isha. Um, I'm actually a final year medical student. I just passed my finals. So I'll be starting as a doctor in August. Congrats. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, that's a bit about what I do. Um, I do have a big interest in sexual and reproductive health. Um, and in terms of the reproductive side, I myself was diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, I think that's something that triggered me to um start my page which is called she talks um so that's another thing that i do just sort of on the side um it's a bit of a sexual and reproductive health awareness page um on instagram so yeah, that's a little bit about me okay so tell me a bit about your journey from um your symptoms to diagnosis how did this um these symptoms begin and how did you know that something was wrong and how long did it take for you to get seen and diagnosed Okay, so for me, it all started, I think this would have been about 2017. Um, I'd been on the pill for such a long time, the um, progesterone-only pill, um, for years and years and years. And I thought, you know what, I've been on it for a while, let me come off. You know, I wanted to, like, have a cycle and see. I don't know, like, I feel like I'm quite in touch with my body and, like, I don't really like to be on medications too much and that sort of thing. So I was like, okay, let me try and come off the pill. And I had the most horrific period oh, that I'd really? ever had in my life, like the worst period ever, like um, really, really painful, really heavy. Um, I remember, so this is when I was in my second year of uni and I remember being like held up on the lecture hall benches, like in excruciating pain. Wow. And at that point I was like, no, I can't do it. I need to go back on the pill. Like I can't be doing these periods if this is what it, like, it's like. Like I didn't even realize at the time that like there were no alarm bells there were no yeah. sort of red flags at that point um so then I went back on the pill and sort of expect expected the the period to stop 
but it didn't. I was sort of still bleeding for a good eight weeks. Um, and that was sort of the time that I was first interacting with healthcare. So um, I went to the doctors, had an appointment with a nurse and they said, it's just breakthrough bleeding. No, it's, it's, it'll, it'll go, it's fine. And I was like, hmm, like, I think this was like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like I think this was the four week point. And I was like, "Mm, you know, bleeding for four weeks doesn't sound like nothing, but I went with it. I was still taking my pill. Um, And then, so this is when I was back in Peterborough, which is my hometown um, for the summer. And I came back to uni and I went to see a doctor again because it was just too much to deal with. And then they gave me a medication called tranexamic acid, which literally just clots blood, stops stops the bleeding, which it did. Um, but I realised I was still having chronic pelvic pain that was just not going away. Um, so this continued for a while. I put up with it for a good, I'd say a good six months to a year at that point. And it was sort of just all the time. And I was, this is when I started my clinical placements as well. It was a third year. So it's quite long hours standing up on the wards. Um, I remember sort of shuffling from leg to leg, like in just chronic pain Um, and then coming home and having work to do and just wanting to curl up in bed and then no painkillers working and then sort of trying like cocodamol and something a bit stronger and it just making me feel really drowsy and it was like lose lose like I'm not getting any work done I'm still in pain like now I'm drowsy and I feel nauseous (laughs) like just (laughs) nothing was helping (laughs) at all so yeah so then I I went to the doctors a couple of times and it was being sort of thrown between places so they were saying make sure that you've had all of your STI checks and make sure someone's had a look at your cervix so I had to then go to the sexual health clinic and we all know what it's like getting an appointment at a sexual health clinic especially having sort of like a a nine to five you're working in the hours when you're supposed to make an appointment Mm. um, which I think is something that people don't really consider as well um so yeah it was a bit of back and forth for a while and then finally had an appointment with a doctor who was lovely and was like no like I I know that you're in a lot of pain um and I'm gonna get you an appointment with a specialist as soon as I can Mm. um so that felt like my first breakthrough um and then I got a letter about an appointment but then they rejected the referral really Um, yeah the first hospital that I got sent to rejected the referral they give Um, a I don't think they did to me maybe the the GP would have seen what the reason was but she tried to refer me on a service that would get me seen quickly and they said nope (laughs) not today (laughs) (laughs) so then I got re-referred and then it was about a six-month wait period for the appointment that I'd been referred for turn up to the appointment and they were like oh did you not get the letter that says that it's been cancelled and rescheduled to next month no way yeah so that's seven months now that sent the letter to my home address even though I changed so there's all of these logistics as well that people Mm. you know don't don't realize in the process it's not just um I think people hear like waiting time and they think oh like it's just sat like sitting waiting but it's not it's making these little steps and then having to take about 10 steps backwards Mm -hmm. um, in the process because of all of the systems in healthcare. Um, And then I finally got seen by a specialist and they did offer me an operation straight away, um, like to investigate, but I was quite nervous about having an op. 
Mm. So I opted to try the contraceptive in- injections okay. um, and they didn't work. And then I finally had my operation. So Wow. Okay. So you that's, that's the story. <laughs> I feel like I was talking for ages. <laughs> so no, it's fine. Because, you know, the first question is always kind of a long one. Like, well, you're telling me how you, you know, the journey has been. I know it took a while, but I would say that you're one of the lucky ones, if um, that makes sense, just because a lot of people yeah. experience these pains for seven to 10. I think at mine was about 15 years before I finally, like from, I would say when I, it started, like mine wasn't one of those first day of my period, you know, it was just excruciating. Mine grew over time. And by the time I was in uni, I was the person that was known for bad periods, you know. So, you know, when amongst your friends groups, you're the one who yeah. has pictures and go home and, you know, and all of that. So, and then it got really extremely bad when I came to this country. And that one for maybe two, three days, like initially it was like one day of the month, you know, day mm-hmm. one. And later it was like day two to four. Then later it was just like the entire period. Oh. Of Yes. So, um, so I'm really excited for you that you, I know for you also, it must have been very painful and difficult. Um, but I'm I'm very happy that you've been able to get, you know, some investigations done and the surgery done. So when they did the surgery, what, what did they find? So I had my surgery done and they found superficial endometriosis. Okay. Um, but there was so there's obviously a lot of like things in both like research papers and in I guess the endo community um, about superficial endometriosis and how the amount of endo that you have doesn't correlate to the pain that you have yeah and my surgeon tried to say to me that oh you don't have endo that can't be what's causing your symptoms it was only the small spots of endometriosis Mm. and like this was literally as I was sort of coming around from the anesthetic that he was like yeah no it's not it's not endo maybe IBS he said it could be IBS because he saw um, not a lot he was already saying that it couldn't be endo that was causing so much pain for you yeah yeah shame yeah (laughs) and I feel like it's only recently and from the the online community and the Instagram and the community that's really helped me be like no like I do because before it was like oh like I had an operation and they removed some endometriosis but I'm not sure if I have it because the surgeon said that I don't but like I I did like on my report it says yeah I, I, I did have it and um my symptoms went as well after oh, the surgery really? oh that's great for a while yeah yeah like the surgery did help um definitely with my periods and the other symptoms that I was having mm-hmm. um I feel like things are starting to recur a bit more now because it has mm-hmm. been pushing two years since my op and I feel like because it was just um there's a difference in the the types of surgeries and what's better for recurrence isn't it and I think yeah. I just had like the ablation, ablation. um yeah so yeah I feel like that's really sad because everyone says we know that surgery is literally the gold standard of treatment. Um, but it's not just any surgery. It kind of has to be excision um, just because excision pulls the, um, the cells from the roots as much as possible. It's more thorough than yeah. um, ablation, which is just them like burning it off the surface. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of annoying that the doctor 
I mean, if you had superficial and he thought it wasn't a lot, I don't know what determines if they would do ablation or not, but I feel like isn't it better to just do excision so that recurrence rates are lower? You know, people mm. are not left in pain for so long, but it's just a whole yeah. thing month of of a system that you don't even know where to start from and yeah. I think what's also sad is you know doing surgery and two years later you feel like you're back in the same spot like yeah so it feels like what's the point and I know a lot of people say excision is a gold standard which is true but also in this community what people have to realize is that it's it's very rare for someone to say I had one surgery and that was it forever like most people are like, okay, I had surgery two, three years later, I started feeling symptoms again, it's coming back. And it's just, it's just a really cruel disease, if I, I must say. Exactly. This is very true. I think there's so many, there's so many barriers all at all parts of the journey, isn't there? From exactly. accessing healthcare to actually being in the healthcare and having your voice heard to actually getting the treatment and then even <laughs> once you've had the treatment the journey isn't over I know unfortunately but this is why it's so important that there's more funding into research for endo I think a lot of issues that primarily affect um, people who are born female do tend to not get as much funding and you know people are just not seen as I guess as important historically in, in healthcare and healthcare research very true very true so I know that um you so we talked about barriers and I know that you um been you said you do research and I wanted to talk a bit more about that tell me about the research you're working on so is this outside of medical school is it with in medical school and what's, yes, what's sorry carry on yeah and what's the um what's it about and what do you think will it impact females I did, um, so I'm a medical student, but um, a lot of medical students will take a year out of study to do something called intercalation. So that's where you have the opportunity to do a different degree. Um, some people pick something completely different. I've had friends that have gone and done business or music for a year, um, okay. but you can also do another sort of healthcare course. Mm. Um, so I decided to do a research master's in reproduction and pregnancy. Um, at the University of Manchester um, so that's what I spent I think it was 2020 2021 doing um, and my project was looking at a pregnancy complication actually so not not endo related okay. um, but interesting nonetheless um, but it was about a pregnancy complication called chronic histiocytic intervillicitis <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> That was me when I first started the project. (laughs) That's me now, to be honest. Um, uh, It's a pregnancy complication where um, there's not that much known about it, to be honest. Um, But we think that it's where the mum's immune system uh, attacks the placenta. um, And then this can cause like a buildup of immune cells and deposits of like clots in the placenta. Um, and then that means that it can affect um, baby's growth. And unfortunately, in some cases, it can affect sort of baby's life. So a lot of the, the pregnancies do end up in loss, unfortunately. Oh, um, so it's a really, um, a really important area that needs a lot more research, but is a really, really rare complication. So it's hard to sort of get enough sample to do research on. And yeah. there's not 
many papers out there and stuff like that but it was a really interesting year like it was very different to what I'd been doing as a medical student like I'd never ever stepped foot in a lab and I actually like was dealing with placentas and collecting them and doing studies on them which was just completely different to what I was used to wow that's so mind-blowing though and and a bit sad how did you doing the research must have been a bit emotional or tough how did I think yeah yeah I think when I was definitely when I was reading about the papers and you know seeing the statistics about you know in a way it is quite similar to endo I guess because there's not much known about it and Mm. even when it's treated the treatments that they use um don't really help the outcomes in some studies it's shown that um the women who were taking the treatment actually ended up with worse outcomes oh my um so it's yeah it's similar in in that sense um and reading the papers was quite emotional um thinking about the women that actually experienced that um but I think doing the actual research you're quite distanced from the patients so obviously as a medical student and uh, as a doctor I'll be a lot more you know patient focused and mm. you know um like facing patients I guess but lab research is quite um quite, quite removed from that yeah yeah so what was your conclusion from the research um so my study in particular was looking at particular immune cells in the placentas mm. um so I was sort of confirming things that were already found in papers about the types of immune cells that were there um, and also looking at um, the presence of iron in placentas which is something that hadn't been looked at um, and there's a relationship between iron and different immune cells and whether the immune cells are trying to attack or whether they're trying to protect Um, so it is really it was sort of um, sort of foundation work that will be built on by other researchers in the um, in the centre uh, obviously I'm just a, a one year part of a big puzzle <laughs> yeah um, but it was interesting nonetheless and I hope that my work will help to build at least the foundations of much greater findings in that field mm. wow well done and thank you for that I feel mm-hmm. like many of us especially women need to get more into that into research mm-hmm. into understanding female gynecological or other health conditions just because There's something I posted a while ago, maybe a couple of years ago on Instagram. And it was like, it just occurred to me that the importance of, um, you know, diagnosing diseases like endometriosis pretty early instead of waiting seven to 10 years or whatever, is that it would actually inspire a lot of people. Imagine a, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 year old girl finding out that she's got endometriosis and deciding that you know what I'm going to actually study this you know Mm. in uni or whatever like many of us find that when we've (laughs) finished uni or yeah done you know we had other things and this could actually pivot some people and say actually I want to know more why isn't there more known about this condition like instead of spending my life doing something else this is actually something I want to find out and use Mm -hmm. my life to do to help other women and I think it's really important so it's really commendable um you know that you went into that and tried to do that research and came up with some came out with some conclusions I hope that like you said it's a foundation for other researchers to do more and um, maybe find out 
you know why why that condition happens to pregnant women so well yeah (laughs) thank you I think one thing I learned was how long research takes and like Mm. all of the behind the scenes things that go on with you know getting funding and getting enough people for studies and things like that like there is a lot I think behind the scenes that we as patients don't really see yeah so yeah it was definitely interesting yeah thank you oh well done so let's talk about she talks um I know that you are on Instagram and you know spreading and raising awareness about lots of different things can you tell me a bit more about what your aim is what's your goal for she talks and do you have any future plans and um anything you want to share (laughs) yeah so she talks is like my little baby (laughs) um I think it started as I was quite I remember at first to, to put it out to the world I guess and I felt like it was something that I had to have perfected um but it was a year for learning for me and sort of realized it's not you don't have to have things perfect to make a start especially when it comes to sort of raising awareness and things like that you learn learn on the job sort of right um so my aims with she talks is to just raise awareness about sexual and reproductive health in general because I feel like it's an area that we don't learn much about especially in the education system Mm -hmm. I think people reach a big age and um are not in touch with their sexual health or their reproductive health um and people always sort of feel like it's a bit too late um so that was sort of my first aim but then as I looked a bit closer into it I realized that there's actually a lot of health inequalities in sexual and reproductive health Mm -hmm. um so on my page I've spoken about um how I think it's with cervical cancer screening black women are less likely to attend um in America there's a lot more there's already a lot of um sort of deaths from things like ovarian cancer because it's picked up so late but um it's there's a much greater incidence of of death in in black women with ovarian cancer and with sexual health um there's a study that shows that 15 to 18 year olds who are black and Asian are less likely to have a good education about their sexual health and sort of know where to get testing and that sort of thing so I think those sorts of studies and reading about that sort of thing really fueled um my passion in that area and wanting to raise awareness about those issues oh that's really good and I think it's very important what you're doing a few years ago again (laughs) I I had a conversation um, on the podcast with um, uh, a lady called Amy. She's the host of um, another podcast, Endo podcast called In 16 Years of Endo. And we talked about um, the the bias in healthcare. And Mm. it was while doing the research for that uh, episode, it was just so disheartening to see how worse it is for people that are you know in minority groups and black Mm. and Asians and there's so much work to do like it made me realize that sometimes you actually want to dress more appropriately or more formally to go for your for your appointment with the doctor just so that you look like you know what you're talking about I don't Mm. know if anyone has listening has experienced this but um, initially I would just go to the doctors you know however I'm feeling especially because sometimes I'm feeling like 
horrible yeah i realized that sometimes you actually had to go with your head held high and you know show that like i would have my notes because otherwise i would forget or i would be panicky and i don't know how it is for you know white people but this is what we experience and um it's pretty important to be able to educate people that look like us and be able to let them know that they like on their own end, they have to go armed with their doctors, but then it's also important to educate the doctors as well yeah. and for them to be aware of maybe their implicit bias, because sometimes they might not know that they have it or they might not be aware. They might not have that yeah. awareness. So there's so much work to be done. And I think that I'm hoping she talks, <laughs> does some of that work because it's really, yeah. yeah, yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm, I feel like at the minute I've reached a bit of a crossroads with She Talks and I'm trying to figure out the the path that I want to take with it, especially as I sort of move into like actually being a doctor, yeah. how I can use my position best right. on the page. And also I think so part of my job that I'm taking on in July will be I'm on a sort of specialised foundation pathway. So I have the opportunity to spend, I think it's half a day every week or every two weeks on leadership. Um, So I do want to, yeah, I want to use that time to um, integrate similar aims, I guess, as I've got with She Talks into my clinical practice and see how I can sort of bring the both together. Because I feel like they've sort of run alongside each other for a while, but yeah like this might be a nice point where they can cross and I can take some of those those thoughts and 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 passions across Mm, that's really good I'm kind of excited that you're a doctor going about to be about (laughs) to be almost 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 and also have this vision or this vision just because I feel like many of us are like we said I think on this podcast and on loads of podcasts um about how some of us feel really disappointed with the doctors even you have experienced your doctor saying well you don't have endometriosis but it's written in the notes that you have superficial endometriosis and just brushing things off so I think it's I think we're getting to a point as more and more people are like you you know actually in the industry in the medical world and also remember to be empathetic towards the patients because maybe you're on both sides or you understand both sides. So yeah. it's really exciting to see, you know, yeah. what's going to happen as as years go by. But I'm hoping that there's you and many of <laughs> and many <laughs> others bring change. I hope so too. I've yeah. had I've had a couple of um consultations in my last my final placement actually I was in the GP practice and a few patients with either sort of the beginnings of endo or recurrence of endo and it's such a such a bittersweet moment because I just want to be like I feel you like I've been there I know and in a way I am like that but in a more professional way yeah Um, but it feels nice to be the person that I needed yes and in my first consultation to be like no like I I understand how you're feeling and it's okay I'm going to refer you that sort of thing like I think it's it's it feels like a nice circle to be like okay I'm now that person that can yes recognize other people yeah that's really good you know I have this I just know this dream (laughs) 
an impossible one, but by the way, <laughs> because I know that I can't go back to medical school, but sometimes I'm like, isn't there a way to just like fast track and say, I want to be, I just want to focus on endometriosis. Do I have to do, do I have to do how many years of medical school before I decide I'm going to specialize? Make, I wish yourself, I a job. Make yourself a job as like an endometriosis advocate or something. You can just be like posted up in the GP practices, like get people on the door. Like what's your consultation about? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wish i could maybe i will <laughs> <laughs> look into it listen jobs aren't made until we make them I know, <laughs> make exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh but yeah it's been really, really lovely talking to you Isha. do you have anything to say to people who um whatever state they are at the moment regards regarding their health their sexual or reproductive health it doesn't have to be chronic issues like endometriosis but whatever they're going through do you have any advice to say to them um, as they navigate their journey as well I would say an important thing to keep in mind always is that that you're your you are your biggest advocate it's not easy all the time but we do have to stand up for ourselves as patients so I think just keeping in mind that you have a right to access healthcare you have a right to a good standard of healthcare um, and you have a right to be treated and, and for your concerns and your problems to be heard. Um, I think it's easy to, even, even when I went as someone with a medical background, I still felt nervous and I still felt like I'd forget things. And, and that's me with, you know, knowledge of how consultations work and knowing what they need to hear. And I still felt nervous. So I feel like I'm speaking from a place of privilege almost Mm. um I can't imagine what it's like to sort of not have that background and and seek help with um sort of sexual and reproductive and gynecological issues but I think it's important just to keep that in mind and keep in mind that you have a right to to be seen and to be heard thank you so much thank you thank you thank you <laughs> that's lovely yeah, advice lovely to you. yes same and i wish you all the best um with um you know the end of medical school and i hope we someday catch up again yeah, definitely, <laughs> you're a doctor definitely and you know you, you you're working really hard on she talks and um yeah, you I can do it the you. other way around. I'll interview you. Yes, that would be good. That would be really good. <laughs> and I know you'll make a big difference. So thank you so much for all you're doing and take care. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to share, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like to share your story, please reach out on Instagram or Facebook or send an email to info at notdefinedbyendo.com. Till next time, remember, you are not defined by endo.